Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome back. Hopefully everybody had a good week. I got to go on a solo hike this week, which Maddie doesn't like. Why would I? I did send her a picture of what I was wearing and a picture of what I packed and gave her my out time so she would know, you know, what I was wearing. Be easier to find my body. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, but people vanish when they go hiking by themselves. They disappear in the thin air and then no one ever sees them again. Yeah. I posted a picture, though, of the, it was a lookout tower that I hiked up to. It was really cool. And then Maddie and I went backpacking this week as well. And, uh... We'll tell you that story at the end, but we we followed our gut, and we packed up. And we left. Yep. Yeah. But we'll tell you about that at the end. Okay. So today we're going to Indiana. We have another listener recommendation. This one's from Jen. It's just Jen on Instagram. Thanks, Jen. But it's a case that we are very familiar with. It was on our list, but... We were reluctant to do it because we figured everybody's heard this case, so there's no point in us doing it. I think every true crime podcast has probably reported on this case, but here we are. We're bringing you the case. If I'm honest, I didn't hear. I didn't know about this case before. You didn't? How is that possible? I have no idea. I, like, it sounds familiar like the case did. Right. But I hadn't heard any details of it. Okay. So as a true crime podcaster, listener myself, I have heard this case probably at least three times on other podcasts. But because it's a hiking one, we would probably have to do it at some point. So we're going to do it today. And we did spend a lot of time researching this case. But hopefully there will be information in here that you haven't heard. I found a ton of information that I hadn't heard, and I've heard this case three times. Trigger warning, this case is about children. If that is an issue for you, it's, I mean, it's an issue for me, but if that's something that you don't want to hear about, maybe don't listen to this one. It does involve children. One of them is the age of one of my daughters, so I totally understand if you can't handle this. It's kind of a tough one. Okay, so this is the Delphi Martyrs. In Delphi, Indiana. Yep. All right, let's get into it. On a sunny winter day in Delphi, Indiana, it was unusually warm and friends Libby and Abby decided to go for a hike on High Bridge Trail where their young lives would be taken from them. Okay, so Abigail Williams and Liberty German are the two young girls in our case. They were both eighth graders at Delphi Community Middle School. The girls were inseparable. They both played alto sax together in the middle school band They also competed on the same volleyball team, and they were getting ready to start the softball season together. Now, Libby had played softball before, and I think Abby was only joining to play with Libby. I think this was going to be her first season. They loved the outdoors, camping, hiking, and fishing, and they were both interested in photography. Abigail, or Abby as her friends called her, was 13. She was 5'4", with shoulder length, blonde hair, and she had blue eyes. She was quiet and an avid reader. She was creative and loved crafting, like rubber band bracelets and beaded jewelry. Yep, yep. Crafting is a really messy hobby that 13-year-olds tend to love. Yeah, I know, like, my younger sisters have the loom band things. Uh-huh, yeah, Those, the bracelet. The, yeah. The rubber bands are everywhere. Everywhere. I can't even handle They tried it. to make me bracelets and stuff, and if I wear them, then they, like, pull on my hair. I'm like, why do you wear this? <laughs> 
And she did give these things to her friends, and she also began to knit hats for the newborns at the local hospital. Liberty, or Libby, as her friends called her, she was 14. She was 5'4", with long blonde hair and hazel eyes. She was the much more outgoing of the two. She was funny. She liked to joke around with her friends. She was an honorable student and had big plans for college. She wanted to be a science teacher, and she was also very athletic. Libby lived with her older sister, Kelsey, who was 17, and her dad, Derek, at her grandparents' house. So that might get confusing later on. So she lives with her grandparents, but her dad also lives there too. Delphi is a small town. It only has about 3,000 people in it. It's mostly farmland. It's also been a safe place for people to raise their children. They do get quite a bit of snow during the school year. The school district is actually required to schedule in a certain amount of snow days each year in order to prepare for these conditions. Due to unusually warm weather, the predetermined snow days had gone unused and the district decided to give the kids a long weekend to use one of these days up. So it would begin on Friday the 9th and go through Monday the 13th. So they were going to have Monday off, which they normally would not, right? Which there's a lot of confusion about this later in the case when people are like, well, shouldn't the girls have been in school and different things like that? That's why. They didn't have school. Yep. So on February 12th, Abby packed her bag for a sleepover with her best friend Libby. They spent time that afternoon practicing for the upcoming softball season, and then that night they worked on crafts together and stayed up late painting. Abby brought her, like, big craft thing over to Libby's house, and they kind of dumped it out and just did a bunch of crafts. So on February 13th, 2017, the weather that day was cold, but it was clear and sunny. So there was a high of 43 degrees and a low of 27 degrees. When the girls got up that morning, they wanted pancakes. So Libby's dad, Derek, made them pancakes for breakfast. The girls came out a little later and said that they were bored, which this is not surprising, right? Kelsey, her older sister, was getting ready to go help her boyfriend. And Libby asked her if she wanted to go to the high bridge, which was this old railroad bridge that was at the end of a trail, like a short trail. Kelsey was like, no, I'm obviously getting ready to leave right now. And Madison can probably attest to this as an older sister who drives. As soon as she walked away, Kelsey felt bad. She was like, I've been telling her no a lot lately. So she went and told her that she would drop them off if they could get a ride home. I think it seems pretty normal, you know, little siblings asking older siblings who can drive if they can drop them off or give them rides places. Right. Like even before asking mom and dad, I feel like sometimes. Kid says you and like, Maddie said she'd give me a ride. Right. There's, it's going to be more likely that they get a yes from the parents about going if they already have a ride. So the girls wanted to go hike to the bridge, take some nature pictures. Before she left, her grandma told her that she needed a coat and she told her I'll be fine without, which... Yep, that sounds about right. 14-year-olds not wanting to wear coats. It's pretty cold out, though, I feel like. I would be wearing, like, three jackets. I don't do well in the cold. (laughs) Right? A hat, maybe some mittens and some hand warmers? I don't know. I do not do well. When the girls got in the car, Kelsey saw that they did not have coats on. She ran back inside and she grabbed one of her sweatshirts for Abby. And Libby already had a sweater in the backseat of her car that she had left in there earlier. So on the way to the trailhead, they were singing in the car, having a good time. She dropped them off around 1.35 p.m. And this was at the trailhead, Monon Hybrids Trail. So they got out of the car. She made sure they had their sweatshirts. 
She told them goodbye, told Libby that she loved her, and that was the last time she would ever see her sister. It was on County Road 300 North. This was just west of the Hoosier, maybe? Hoosier Heartland Highway? Their plan was to hike the high bridge, and then Libby's dad was going to pick them up after an hour and a half or so. Yeah, there was no set time plan because he was out running errands, and his plan was just to call when he got close and pick them up on his way home. Okay. It's a pretty short trail to get to the bridge, and it's basically part of the Delphi Historic Trail System, which goes through all different parts of the town. This particular one goes to the bridge, though. The bridge was built in 1891. It's about 60 feet high, and it has no rails. So it's in pretty rough shape. There's, like, some gapping in the slats. There's no handrails. It's just an old abandoned railroad bridge. And it's pretty long and it's pretty high. It goes over Deer Creek and it's been abandoned since 1987. Also, the historic trail system that I was talking about. So it travels past historic downtown Delphi all along former railroad beds. And the entire trail is about 10 miles long. It has eight miles of urban street trails and only a couple miles that are actually in the woods. And it's all easy and relatively flat. Okay. So at 2.07, Libby posted two photos on Snapchat. One photo was of the bridge with no one on it. It just, like, stretches out in front of her. And the second was Abby walking on the bridge, and she's wearing a pink-red shirt and blue skinny jeans and black converse. Her hands in the pockets of the gray sweater that she had borrowed, and her blonde hair is up in a bun, and this would be the last post that either of the girls would make. Libby's dad got done running his errands, He sent his daughter a message that he was close by. At 3.11, he called her and got no answer. At 3.13, he calls her again with no answer. At 3.15, he pulled into the trailhead parking lot. The girls were not there yet. He sent her multiple messages and even called her. And at one point, her phone just started going straight to voicemail. So either it's dead, someone's turned it off. So he set out to look for them by 3.30... He had not yet found them. He assumed that they had just gone too far and lost track of time. He called his mom. Word started to spread that he couldn't find them. Her grandma and aunt started texting and calling them as well, thinking maybe they just weren't picking up for him. Well, and I would assume too at this point, he's probably not worried. He's probably annoyed. I mean, if you think about it, right? Like you're supposed to pick your kids up at a certain time. And this has happened to me before where I go to... A designated spot to pick kids up, right? Usually it's the lake that I run into this. So I go to pick them up at the lake at five o'clock because that's what time I said I would pick them up. And they're not in the parking lot and they're not there. And if I want to go look for them, I have to go find a parking spot, which you have to pay for, and then get out of my car and go find them because nobody's answering their phone because they're swimming. They've lost track of time. So I would assume that annoyance is probably over worry at this point. By 3.45, there was a woman taking pictures on the bridge and she does not see Abby or Libby in that area anymore. Okay. At 4 p.m., Mike Patty, who is Libby's grandpa, mm-hmm. was contacted at work. Right, and that's kind of like the, okay, the family's getting worried now that yeah. they're calling grandpa and being like, we can't find them. The family immediately starts searching for the girls. 
I don't think we mentioned either, Libby was wearing a tie-dye shirt with fringe on the bottom of it, gray sweatpants, and black Nike sneakers. We talked about what Abby was wearing, but we hadn't talked about what Libby was wearing. So I think the family at this point is thinking, maybe they fell from the bridge. Have they been injured? They really just don't know. Kelsey and her boyfriend also come out and start searching. So at 520, the girls were reported missing. Authorities did not initially suspect foul play. However, they did search the area immediately. Delphi police, county sheriffs, and even the fire department came out to aid in the search. Remember, they're not thinking foul play. They're just thinking that the girls are lost or injured at this point. And also volunteers showed up with flashlights. And remember, this is a very small town, so word would get around pretty quickly. Oh, 100%. That actually happened in our town recently where a little girl went missing. And dear God, there were so many people converging on the area to look for her because there was a real fear that there's a lot of wooded areas and stuff like that. There was a fear that she wandered into the woods. She was like four. She was young. Yeah, she was like three or four. She was super young. Turns out she was actually sleeping in her bed. Sleeping in her bed. <laughs> which, quotes. which multiple police officers had actually searched the house and had not found her. So it's very, very strange and bizarre that she was later found sleeping in the house. So there were hundreds of people within 30 minutes converging in this area to search for this little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. This is kind of interesting. At 545... PM, an Amber Alert goes out for a missing girl in Gary, Indiana. This is unrelated to Libby and Abby, but also important because this Amber Alert is probably taking resources that may have been able to be used for the girls. Yeah. And if nothing else, it's at least a distraction, right? There's another missing girl. I wonder how far Delphi is to Indiana. It's not that far. Okay, so Gary, Indiana is less than two hours from Delphi. Pretty crazy. And that's driving directions right now with traffic, by the way. And a lot of speed traps. (laughs) So less than two hours away, probably an hour and a half maybe. And there's another girl missing with an Amber Alert going out. Side note, never heard of an Amber Alert going out for Abby or Libby. Because they don't think they've left the area, Yeah, they don't. But still, no Amber Alert goes out for these two girls. Yeah. Okay. So at 6.30, locals wanted to check this massive property that was near the bridge, which belonged to Ronald Logan, who was 77 years old, and he did allow them to search. Yeah, and this property, it really, like, butts up against the park and the bridge where that Mm -hmm. property line is. And it's huge. So they just kind of showed up and were like, can we search your property? And he was like, yeah, go for it. And yeah. Yeah. Because why why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Exactly. If you're not guilty. So it makes sense that they would go out and start searching there. Also, remind you the sunset at 620. So it's getting dark. (sighs) That stresses me out. So throughout this timeline, we will be peppering in some scanner information, which I found on a timeline on a Facebook page for the Delphi murders. It's interesting to hear what's going on on the police side of it. There are some scanner transmissions that we will not be reading for one reason or another, but we're going to give you the ones that we think are important. So at 7.01, scanner transmission. Delphi Fire requested at station for briefing on two missing juveniles. And then at 8.22, 
scanner transmission called back to regroup. So they called all of the fire department back at 8.22 that were out searching. At 11.17 p.m., a repeat Amber Alert is sent out for the Gary, Indiana girl. So around midnight, the Carroll County Sheriff says in a news release, there's no reason to suspect foul play or believe that the girls are in immediate danger. The biggest concern is the exposure to the elements. The search was officially called off when it got too dark. This was a very controversial decision then and still kind of is to this day. But you have to remember their fire department is all volunteers. They don't have a paid fire department in Delphi, right? They're all volunteers. People are tired. I think they're thinking everybody needs to get sleep so that we can hit this hard in the morning and not have everybody be exhausted. However, family and friends did carry on searching. Also, Libby was afraid of the dark. I literally hate that. It makes me want to cry. So on February 14th, so Valentine's Day, temperature high was 49 and the low of 32. And at 1.36 a.m., bolo goes out. What is that? So a bolo is be on the lookout for. It's, it's cop speak for be on the lookout for this person, this suspect, this whatever they're on the lookout for. It's okay. called a bolo. Legit never heard of that. In You've never entire... heard of a bolo? No. How have you never heard of a bolo? No. Nope. Never heard it. All right. We're going to have to do another poll. And the bolo that went out was to be on the lookout for the two missing juveniles. And still no Amber Alert, which I know there's different criteria for an Amber Alert than like a bolo. So an Amber Alert, I believe they have to believe the child is in immediate danger. Like kidnapping, like the child's been kidnapped. Right. They believe that there's imminent danger where with these girls, they believe that they're lost in the woods maybe and not missing or not kidnapped, which I don't know. We weren't there. Not going to make judgment on that, but I do find it strange that an Amber Alert did not go out for Abby and Libby. I'm not that surprised because the county sheriff or whatever, he doesn't think they're in immediate danger. He doesn't think that they're... Right, but they have no idea if they're in the woods. They have no idea if they came out of the woods. They could have been kidnapped from the parking lot. I mean, it's... I feel like, why would you not assume the worst? At 7.26 a.m., An Amber Alert goes out for the Gary, Indiana girl again. At 7.28 a.m., scanner transmission, all Delphi fire units out with the search party requested to be en route to the station. The station is where they were staging searchers. That could be why they're all called back at that point. Libby's family was up at 7 to go search, and they headed to the fire station where they all split up in different groups. Kelsey and her dad were sent to the high bridge. At 7.41, the sun rises. At 9.04 a.m., scanner transmission, Delphi Fire Command Deputy Coles needs a pickup truck removed. I wonder where the truck is. I wonder if that had anything to do with the search. We don't know, but a pickup truck needs to be removed. The official search didn't start until 10 a.m. Now, I get that there's staging, there's groups, there's organizing, there's all of that, but I don't know. 10 a.m. That's when it starts, which uh, it was very foggy that morning. So maybe there's a chance that that played a role in it. I'm not sure, but. So hundreds of volunteers showed up and the fire chief thought it was probably around 300 people. P 
people had heard about the missing girls on social media, and I assume just from talk because Word it's a small mouth. town. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and investigators combed through security footage, and they were looking for clues, but they didn't find anything. So ten thirty seven a.m. scanner transmission searches in effect. Ten fifty six scanner transmission. Medic three ambulance requested east side of Heartland staging in that area. At eleven o three scanner transmission. Informing Medic 3 to be on standby in case something happens. So I think they're just staging medics Mm -hmm. just in case. Because they're hoping they're going to find the girls and they're going to be in rough shape from being in the cold all night. I think that's kind of the mindset. That and just everything. I assume that for if something happens to searchers or when they find the girls, I'm assuming that they're just prepping for all of that. Yeah, a lot of times when there's big search parties like this, especially a lot of civilians helping, people do get injured. You see twisted ankles, you see all sorts of things like that. Sometime between 11.45 and 12 p.m., Kelsey said she heard a searcher yell that they had found a shoe. Now remember, Kelsey's at the High Bridge group. They yelled up that it was a black Nike, which as we know, Libby was wearing black Nikes. A few seconds later, somebody yelled up that they had found them. It was one mile upstream from the abandoned high bridge where Libby had taken her last photo of Abby and about 50 feet from the north bank of Deer Creek. This was on the back side of Ronald Logan's property. Police announced that based on the condition of the bodies, foul play was suspected. At 12.11, scanner transmission, Delphi command to call a cell phone from dispatch. Likely this was them trying to go offline once the bodies were found so that it wasn't being broadcast on air. That'll happen sometimes when a police officer wants to talk to another police officer but doesn't want to say it over the air. So they will request them to call offline or to go offline to communicate. 2 p.m., law enforcement announces the discovery of the two bodies and that foul play is suspected, but the identities are not confirmed at this time. I mean, I think, though, at this time, everybody knows regardless, right? Yeah. At 4 p.m., Delphi Community School Superintendent Gregory Brills releases a statement saying that the bodies found were the two girls. He did this without confirmation from the police, but we don't know if he knew somebody that was in the group or if he's just assuming. Remember, all the kids are back in school right now. So 8 a.m., autopsies are conducted. At 10 a.m., Sergeant Kim Riley says that the autopsies are complete but declines to identify or talk specifics. He also advises parents to keep an eye on their children. There's a lot of scanner chatter that happens around 12, in between 12 and 1. We won't read it to you guys, but the gist is basically them trying to figure out where to bring cars in, where to park cars, how to cordon off this this crime scene, basically. I mean, there's no road access to where they are right now, yeah. right? So they are having to drive cars into fields and into crazy, strange places, They're on this property. It's a challenge to deal with this crime scene, right? So there's a lot of talk about that, about how to get there and where to go and where people are and aren't supposed to be in regards to this crime scene and where it's cordoned off. Also, FBI is on scene as well. We're on the 15th now at 3 p.m. is when a news conference is held. It is confirmed that the bodies do belong to Abby and Libby. A reporter actually asks them, this is interesting, okay? 
Is there a threat to anyone else in the community? To which he replies, at this time we do not believe so, sir. To which the reporter responds, does that mean you have a person of interest in custody or a suspect? To which he says, we do not, sir. How can you say that there's no threat in the community? Exactly. Right after you find two young girls murdered. And you don't have the suspect in custody. And you don't. Yeah. So I would guess that this is probably one of those situations where maybe he misspoke a little bit. Maybe he's thinking we don't want to panic anyone. But I'm sorry, the public should be panicked and they should be vigilant and they should be scared. Two little girls were just murdered. So it's also at this press conference that the public officially learns that the FBI is involved in this investigation. Because remember, we know that because we heard it on the scanner report, but the public is actually aware of it now. Okay. The FBI does not get involved in every crime. They don't even get involved in every murder. So something about this murder got the FBI immediately involved. And maybe that's just that they are a small department and they don't have resources. But instead of calling for help from nearby bigger areas that might have more detectives, because I think Delphi only had maybe two detectives at this point, the FBI is brought in. So we also get a little bit of information here too. And this is going to be the beginning of limited information in this case, right? Severe irritation, I would call it. So I'm feeling a little frustration with details in this case, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But here we're going to be given a little bit of information, and then that's it. They also release, at this point, a photograph of a man walking on the bridge with his head down. He has his hands in his pockets, or at least one hand in a pocket. He's wearing blue jeans, a brown shirt we think, a navy blue zipped up jacket, and he either has a hooded sweatshirt on or his jacket has a built-in hood. He also may be wearing a scarf, but it's hard to tell if that's like his sweater. What it is, what's going on. Right. And we'll post this picture or you can go look at it anywhere online. It's very pixelated and it's hard to see. He's also wearing a brown ivy or herringbone type hat. Maybe. I'd say that it looks like a hat that someone would be wearing in, like, the 60s. Yeah, so, like, an ivy or herringbone, it's, like, it's kind of like a a cap that has, like, a short bill in the front. It's a very old-style-looking hat. But there is debate on whether or not he's even wearing a hat, which I think he's wearing a hat. So some people think it's his hair. I think he's wearing a hat. Okay, I... So Maddie's looking at the pictures right now, if you guys hadn't gathered that. No, I think it's a hat. I don't... Oh, oh, wait. I can see why people think it's his hair. I know. Once you hear... I initially thought hat, and then when I started reading that people thought it was his hair, I was like, oh, wait. And then I was like, well, I can see that, but I still think it's a hat. See, from this angle, I can see the hair. From this photo, I can see the hair. Like, that's his It looks like hair, yeah. It kind of looks like it could be his hair. But then in this one, I can see the shadow casted across his face from what looks like his brown hat. I can see how people think it's hair. I can see it. Yeah. So look at the picture, you guys. Tell us what you think. I mean, I can kind of see it either way, but I think it's a hat. I think he's wearing a hat. It makes sense that he's wearing a hat. It's cold. Of course, speculation about where this picture comes from starts running wild. So I think the initial common 
assumption is that there must be a trail cam. And if there's a trail cam, do they have footage that includes the girls? Right? Maybe they have footage of them being kidnapped. I mean, we don't know. This is also when they start calling him Bridge Bridge Guy or BG for short. Yeah. So you'll see that. Okay. So this part we kind of debated about rather or not to put it in here or not. We still might cut it out. We still might cut it out. But we're going to read you the scanner report that starts at 3 o'clock. And this is kind of hard to hear, but it's also something that is part of the case. So here we go. So... At 3.03 p.m., scanner report starts. Go ahead. We have some underwear with an evidence bag, so just stand by there. They're on their way. They're coming through the water, by the way. Clear. At least two people with evidence so far. So you found more? What's the second thing you found? Because I'm only seeing one evidence bag. I have a cigarette butt in the water that's less than two or three days old. Okay, copy. We need three more evidence bags if someone could bring them. Obviously, it sounds like they are collecting evidence out there and they're, as people find evidence, they're having them stand by and wait for somebody to come with an evidence bag to them, right? Because remember, we're, we're on the bank of a river, we're on a trail, like we're in the woods. There yeah. is a lot of ground to cover for this search, but yeah. I don't like any of that. Keep in mind, this is a massive crime scene, right? They would discover that the crime actually started at the bridge, which would expand their crime scene to about a half mile. They did get lucky as far as weather goes. It didn't rain on them. This isn't the Smoky Mountains, right? It didn't snow. So they had that going for them. But the scene was described as gruesome. And I can't even handle that word. In association with these two little girls. But not only that, but still to this day, we don't know how they were killed. What their cause of death is. Like, we have no idea. Right. So like we said before, the police department has been very, very tight-lipped about all of this. They have not shared cause of death. They have not shared the evidence that they have. They have not shared so much information. Yeah. Yep. Which we find very frustrating I understand that they need to protect their case in the future. However, there's never going to be a case or a trial if they don't catch this guy. And obviously, they're holding back a lot of information. But we'll talk about that later. It bothers us, but we'll talk about it later. It's fine. So that night, a vigil for the girls was held. School did resume, but all after-school activities were canceled. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is fear, right? I mean... They want to keep their kids close by right now, which I totally understand. Plus, the trauma of this for all of these children, I mean, it would be so hard. On February 16th, two days after the murder, a search warrant was served to a house on Bicycle Bridge Road. Police were following a tip that they had received. Boxes were removed from the house, but no arrest was ever made. Yeah, it's funny too. So obviously, this is a small town. People heard about this search warrant and all of these police going to this house and immediately started accusing, started posting stuff. The reporter showed up to this location. Police announced that no one in the house was a suspect in a crime. But I would like to know what their probable cause was in order to get this warrant. 
So the burden of proof is pretty high in a situation where you're asking for a warrant to go search somebody's house. So I wonder what kind of tip or evidence they found that was credible enough. I tend to think that they found some sort of evidence that brought them to that house and it turned out to not be related to the murder or something along those lines. I don't really know, but I know that it's really hard to get a warrant like this. So I would love to know what their burden of proof was. But we'll never know. And those records are not being released because it's still an active investigation. So police did announce multiple times throughout this case to please stop accusing people of this crime. So if you go online and type in this case, you will see side by side comparisons of a ton of different people to this sketch, to this person. And that is something that the police do not want to see. They do not want to see people accusing other people, ruining people's lives. Don't do that. (laughs) But they have to remind the public of this multiple times because so many people are convinced that this person is their teacher, their uncle, their whatever. And a lot of people are posting side-by-side comparisons of the sketch to people that they know. February 18th at 4 p.m., a memorial service was held at the high school. They played videos of the girls, and at 8 p.m., they released lanterns. So on February 19th, separate funerals were held, and they were held about 45 minutes apart, and I'm assuming that's so that... Everyone could just... People can go to both. At 12.30, on the day of the funeral, the man in the photo was officially named a prime suspect in the murder of the girls. Right, so I don't know if we said that earlier, but the last press conference, police said that... The man in the photograph was just somebody they wanted to talk to, that he may have been in the area and might have seen something. Now they're saying he is our suspect. This is the man we think is responsible and we want to find him. They also explained that the image was cropped from a larger image. Tips came in, but led to nothing, which (sighs) we're going to see a lot. So frustrating. So on February 22nd, this is nine days after the girls were killed. They announced that the photo had been retrieved from a video that Libby had taken on her phone. Libby's phone was found at the crime scene, and this video was taken using her front-facing camera over her shoulder. Right, so basically, from what I heard, the beginning of the video is her and Abby talking, girl talk, girl stuff, at the beginning of the video, and then Abby says... Is that creepy guy still following us? And Libby takes the phone and holds it over her shoulder to see the guy walking on the bridge behind them. Yes, so obviously the girls are uncomfortable by this man, according to this video, and he's following them. They also, at this point, release an audio recording. It was a recording of the suspect. It was muffled, like maybe the phone was in a pocket. And the voice said, down the hill. And we're going to play that for you, too. Super creepy. Super creepy. I don't like it. To me, I think that this is him telling them what to do. Yeah, so he's leading them down the hill at this point, it sounds like to me. Which is, there's, near the bridge, there's this hill that goes down to the creek where they were found. They do say that this recording came from Libby's phone as well. Mm -hmm. 
They also called her a hero for having the foresight and the fortitude to record this exchange in secret. So the fact that she had the presence of mind to say something's wrong, I'm uncomfortable, I feel like I need to record this, is incredible. I mean, this is a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. So the police also state that there was additional evidence on the phone, but they did not release this evidence in order to not compromise any future trials. They're not giving us the rest of the video, and they're not giving us more information at this point. Yeah. It was also announced that there was a reward of $41,000 in this case. The next day, the office of the U.S. representative, Todd Rokita, donated an additional $9,000, bringing the reward total to $50,000. Within a couple more days, the reward was up to $100,000. In early March, retired Indianapolis Colts punter Pat McAfee and Jim Ursay, I think, donated $97,000 to the reward fund, bringing it up to $200,000. On July 17th, officers distributed a composite sketch of someone who was considered a person of prime interest. It had been created by police from eyewitnesses to a certain hiker on the Delphi trails the same day that the girls had vanished. And we'll also post a photo of this composite sketch, obviously. Yep. This man was a white male. He was 5'6 to 5'10. He weighed between 180 and 200 pounds. He had reddish brown hair with an unknown eye color, which means the witnesses either didn't know what color his eyes were or they disagreed on it, would be my guess. So, like, if somebody says blue and somebody says brown... It's sometimes better to say unknown so that people don't get confused. He was middle-aged. He had a square face, a large nose, and a goatee. He wore a cap in the picture, but this was a fact that witnesses actually disagreed on. So some said he had a cap on and some said he didn't. Kind of like the picture. Hmm. They did receive over a thousand tips in the first 24 hours of this case. These tips actually led to over 20 arrests on unrelated crimes. How crazy is that? One of them was on a 10-year-old cold case. Damn. I know. I guess you start running down tips about suspicious people and you're going to find suspicious things. I guess so. Uh, Not much comes from this composite sketch. Yeah, which is crazy. So we have this picture of the guy. We have his voice. We have this composite sketch from witnesses. And yet nobody can identify him. It's crazy. So 24 days after the girls were murdered on March 9, 2017... Mike Patty, Libby's grandfather, made a statement to the press. He said, This horrible crime has torn a hole in our family that will never heal. It's the small things that seem to hurt the most. It's just natural to holler for them to come down to dinner or in the morning to get up and get ready for school. Then expect them to come through the door after school. The silence when we don't hear their voice. He explained that there was a running joke in their house that any time Libby was asked to do something around the house, she would reply, in a minute, just a minute. I believe if she was able to speak, she would ask the public to give her just one minute and look at the photo. He also said that the girls had an unspeakable bond and that both girls were heroes. They stuck together. He said there was probably an opportunity at some point for one of the girls to get away But neither girl would abandon the other because they loved each other. That's so sad. Tips did go up 200% following the statement, but still no leads or evidence came up. For me, it's crazy how much evidence they have. 
March 18, 2017, at 12pm, a search warrant was served to the property where the girls were found. Which, if you remember, is the 77-year-old man. Yeah, Ronald Logan. Yes. And this one makes more sense to me because the girls are actually found on his property. So this search warrant makes sense. I don't think they would have needed a burden of proof bigger than that. Yeah. No. Definitely not. So he had been in custody for over a week for violating his parole. He had told the police that he wasn't home at the time that the girls went missing, that he had driven two miles south to a waste station to throw away some trash. And this violated his parole from a drunk driving conviction that he'd gotten in 2014. Yeah, and he had fully cooperated with police up until this point. I don't think he was really considered a serious suspect, although there is a lot of theories out there about him being a suspect. Because even if he did run to the dump really quick, he still could have had plenty of time, right? But Because it's like two minutes away. And also, it does sound like his property is large. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean... Who knows? He was also seen drinking beer at a pizza place in town, which also violated his parole. So I guess if you're going to accidentally be thrown into the spotlight of a murder investigation, don't violate your parole. I guess. I don't know. He's 77. I know this. I don't want to say this poor guy because obviously he's on probation for a reason. You should never be drunk driving. But I kind of feel like he's getting... Like, thrown through the ringer because he happens to be the owner of this property where this horrible thing happened. And he probably just wants to be, like, left in peace. But, He's like, God damn it, I shouldn't have gone to the dump. I knew it was a bad idea. Well, then he wouldn't have had an alibi. So, I mean, you're you're torn between ratting yourself out for violating your parole or having no alibi for the time that they went missing. On June 22nd, Abigail's mother posted, Tomorrow, June 23rd, Abigail Joyce Williams would be turning 14. It is still unbelievable to me that I will not be making a cake and planning her party. Not this year, not next year. Please remember her tomorrow and every day. I literally can't. I can't. I cannot even stop for a second to put myself in this mom's shoes because I just can't. I have a 14-year-old. I can't. This is literally something that could happen to any family. Do you know how many times I've dropped my 14-year-old and her friend off somewhere to go for a walk on the trail, to go into town, to do different things? Like, I cannot even imagine. Okay, so now we're jumping to April 19th, 2019. So we are years in the future now. Indiana State Police announced that a new direction in the case is being taken. A few days later, on April 22nd, more material would be released at a press conference. The new material included a short video recording of the suspect on the bridge. Short as in this man takes two steps. Yeah, it's like one second long, you guys. So it's part of the video that Libby takes that they got the screenshot of the suspect on the bridge from. So they're releasing a second of this video, right? Years later. Also, what is watching this man take two steps going to do for anybody? They did say that he might not be walking naturally due to the slats in the dilapidated bridge. So look at how he's walking, but don't only consider how he's walking because he might be walking unnaturally because of the bridge. But let's release a one second video of it anyway. Maybe that's all there was. 
You know, like maybe when she put the phone over her shoulder, she only did it for a second because she didn't want him to see it. Maybe that's literally all there is. But even so, I feel like even being able to see her moving the phone to show him and then even moving it back down, I feel like releasing the whole amount of it could have been helpful, but that's just me. They also release an updated sketch of the subject two years later. Because so the man in this video, the man in the photos, I think that he looks like a much older man. I think that he looks like a man in his 30s or 40s. Right. I would totally agree based on the picture that is released. But I guess for some reason, law enforcement has maybe more video, more something. They think he's between the ages of like 18 and 30. 18 and 40. It's such a large... They also say at this point that the man with the goatee and the cap is now considered secondary. And that the new sketch depicting the younger, clean-shaven individual is primary. Which, I, if I'm completely honest, I think that this comes from an actual suspect that they had in the case at this point. And that could be, that could be why we're not getting more information about this, is that they actually think they know who it is, but they don't have enough evidence or they're not releasing it. I really don't know. But for some reason, they now believe that he is younger. And they even say that he might have a more youthful appearance and look even younger than his true age. Which, for me, looking at the man, the bridge guy, the bridge guy, there's no way in hell he's... 18 There's no way he's under the age of, like, 28. Yeah, I would say late 20s would be the youngest I would assume him to be. Yeah. But remember, they might have more video of this guy. Well, that's the thing is that I don't even know if they have more video or not because they're not releasing it. Well, and you want to know something that's interesting? This younger looking sketch was actually created before the other one, but they never released it to the public until now. Nothing makes sense. Nothing. (sighs) Yeah, I know. I would just love to know what law enforcement was thinking when they were doing, like, what... I just want to know the thought process because, to me, nothing is making sense. I know. They also release a little more of that audio clip. Yes. Which we're going to play for you now. So, in that clip, they added guys. One word. One word. So now it says, guys, down the hill. Which, please say, this is the same person saying both. I guess there's a lot of people that think it sounds like two different people, but it's not. It's the same person. It's Mm -hmm. said in the same sentence, right? I'm also going to play you a little clip of something that police say during this press conference. Directly to the killer who may be in this room. We believe you are hiding in plain sight. For more than two years, you never thought we would shift gears to a different investigative strategy, but we have. We likely have interviewed you or someone close to you. We know that this is about power to you. And you want to know what we know. And one day, you will. So basically, they're saying they think he's hiding in plain sight. And they think 
that they have interviewed him or somebody close to him already. Well, as we know, naturally, most people who are psychopaths, sociopaths, things like that, they do like to inject themselves into investigations. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but this is a really small town. And they believe that he lives or works in the area or is in the area a lot for some reason, which I'm not sure that I agree with that, but only because when I look at this picture, when I look at this video, when I look at these sketches, this is a really small town and I feel like there's no way somebody wouldn't have identified him. Someone would have had identified him by now if he lived in Delphi. People who also live outside of Delphi say that they've been to the town and they've walked on that bridge. Well, and not only that, but say this guy did set out to murder somebody that day. Why would he do it in his own town? Yeah, why would you kill someone where you have any kind of connection? Exactly. I would drive somewhere further away and look for a person there. Israel Keys used to drive days sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you never know. Okay, so on April 22nd, After two years, you guys, during a press conference, investigators pleaded for help to identify the driver of a vehicle left abandoned at the Hoosier Heartland Highway in Delphi. It was left at a former child services office between noon and five on the day of the murders. They thought the owner of the vehicle would live or had lived in Delphi or visited regularly. They also announced that the investigation was changing gears Like we said earlier, there's been no cause of death ever released. And from what we've, what we've researched, what we've found, Libby's date of death has been reported as 2-13-2017. Abby's death has been reported as 2-14-17. So I found some things that said that this was the family's choosing. Right, like what day they wanted on the death certificate because... One of them chose the day the girls went missing, and one of them chose the day the girls were found. So, which I always thought the medical examiner did that, chose the date that went on the death certificate, but... There's also reports that Abby's body was warmer than Libby's when they were found. Temperature-wise. Temperature-wise, but... So we we don't know on that one, but... Yeah, like we said, none of this can really be confirmed 100% because... They're not talking. They're not talking about it, and no cause of death has been released, so we don't know. Right, but from everything we've read, they were killed at or around the same time, not on different days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also, there are a few suspects that have come up multiple, multiple times, and we're going to talk about them a little bit, although... It sounds like police have not cleared them, but they are all on the back burner. Police do not believe them to be viable suspects at this time. So we are going to talk about these suspects, but we don't know. I know people have very strong opinions about them. And we don't know if they're still really suspects or if they're not. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they are, but we're going to tell you about the main ones that we hear about. Okay. Yes. So we have Paul Etter, who's 55. On July 23, 2019, police received a tip. It was announced that Paul was a person of interest in the murders. Paul was wanted for kidnap and rape of a 26-year-old woman. She had pulled into his driveway when she got a flat tire. And then she had left and tried to drive away. He had caught up with her. He handcuffed her, took her back to his house, 
where he raped her and then held her captive for five hours before driving her back to her car. And this happened on June 22nd. Five days later, he was surrounded by police and after a five-hour standoff, he committed suicide. Now, why they think he looks good for this, I'm not sure because a 26-year-old woman is very different than a 13 and 14-year-old girl, right? This is not... This to me does not seem like it would be the same perpetrator, but that's just me. Okay? Either way, can't speak for himself, right? Yep. I would say that Daniel Nations looks a little better for it, personally. I agree with this one. Yeah, he's 31. Uh, He's a registered sex offender. He was from Indiana, and on September 25, 2017, he was arrested in Woodland Park, Colorado, Daniel and his wife were pulled over because their vehicle matched the description of a car that contained a couple that had been threatening strangers on Monument Trail with a hatchet. With a hatchet. With a hatchet. Like, what in the heck is going on here? I don't like hatchets. It's the same thing with hammers. I know. Hatchets. Hatchets. Yeah. No. I don't like that. Just put them away. No thank you. So he denied being involved, but when his car was searched, because remember, he's on parole. They don't, they can search his car if they want, right? So, uh, well, probably. Colorado might have different laws. I'm not sure. Either way, when his car is searched, they find a hatchet in the trunk along with a 22 caliber rifle, which is also a violation of his parole. When they ran his name, they found that he was a convicted felon and therefore not allowed to own a firearm and he was placed under arrest. How hard is it to just not have a gun on you when you're on parole? Yeah, I don't really know. I feel like if I was on parole for something, I would want to get off of parole and not go back to jail. So I would probably try to avoid breaking the law. I don't know. It was reported that a bicyclist had been fatally shot on the same trail 10 days earlier. And nations also resembled the sketch of the suspect in the Delphi murders. Which, if you do compare him to the sketches, especially the clean-shaven one, not the original one with the goatee But the second the one? Yeah. But the second one released? Here's the thing, though. I feel like that could apply to any guy. I mean, you can hold up just about any photo to one of those sketches and be like, oh, maybe. One thing that I thought was strange, and we'll talk about this more later, but the El Paso County Sheriff's spokesman told reporters that however many similarities there were between the cases he was not at liberty to disclose them since indiana investigators did not want any more information released which i want to know similarities? what the similarities are exactly this is kind of weird his wife had actually told fox 59 that honestly i don't want to say that i can see him doing it or not she couldn't remember his whereabouts the day of the murder But she said, I had an ultrasound that day, and I'm pretty sure he came with me, but I'm not 100% sure. Cool. How do you... She did say, though, that she didn't think it was her husband in the photo. She said, it's not something my husband would wear, the dark blue jacket he didn't have. And he does not ever wear a hat like that. He only wore baseball caps. So she didn't think it was him. But it doesn't sound like she's sure either. (laughs) No. But in February of 2018, it was announced that Nations was no longer considered an active person of interest in the Delphi murders. Which I just, I would just like to know how they, how did they 100% like say no? Okay, so Thomas Bruce, he formerly worked as a pastor. He was charged with fatally shooting one woman and sexually assaulting two other women. 
On November 19th, 2018, he had ordered them at gunpoint to get in the back room of a suburban St. Louis shop for religious supplies. What is in this, this, what I just, so it's like a religious supply shop. So usually that would be kind of like, they used to call them like Christian bookstores. There's like, they sell Bibles and they sell religious things. I don't know. Um, just religious stuff. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) We don't know. Okay. Okay, go. For some reason, this crime had brought him into the spotlight with the press for a possible suspect for the Delphi cases. He was a similar statue of 5'7 to 5'9. He was wearing a flat cap and navy blue jacket during the attacks. Which is kind of interesting. Very interesting. In November, police looked at a possible connection. But he was also ruled out by police. I think they just couldn't find a connection. Next, we have Charles Eldridge, who's 46. He was arrested on January 8, 2019 in Union City, Indiana. It was an undercover sting operation, and Eldridge went to meet what he thought was a 13-year-old girl for sex. However, he was greeted by an undercover cop. Good. He was charged with two counts of child molestation, one count of attempted child molestation, and one count of child solicitation. Police in Randolph County alerted the FBI to a potential link between Eldridge and the Delphi murder. This link was based on the strong resemblance to the sketch, albeit this was before the updated sketch came out. He openly admitted to having multiple, gross, he openly admitted to having multiple sexual encounters with minors under the age of 13. Disgusting. Yep. What? He also had a reputation as a pervy weirdo, and he was obsessed with guns. What a great combination right there. I know. He had even shared stories about Abby and Libby on his Facebook page. So police said that they found no evidence suggesting that he had anything to do with the murders. Although I will say, obviously, his preference out of all of them seems to be the most likely. And, like, what if? And I think that he resembles the video more. The video of the creepy bridge guy, I think that he... Because he resembles the original sketch. Yeah, so he does look like the original sketch, not Which the second sketch. I think the original sketch, to me personally, looks like the guy in the video. Right, and me too. I'm not sure where this other sketch came from. That's what I'm thinking. My theory is it's somebody from out of town who was looking for victims of opportunity. He was walking and saw two young girls who obviously, probably he figured he would have good control over them. And I'm assuming as terrible as this is, is that he controlled the girls by threat of one of the other ones that if you don't move, I'm gonna hurt your friend that's how he controlled the girls well right because i feel like at some point one of them would have had the opportunity to get away but i think i really do think that they didn't want to leave each other and i think that even with the opportunity to possibly run the idea that their friend might get harmed because of it i think probably paralyzed them both a little bit yeah i could see this being somebody who lived in the town at some point or lived in a nearby town. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is somebody who lives in that town right now because I feel like there's no way he would not have been identified by this time. I think it's someone who lives around Delphi, around in one of the towns, maybe moved after all of this started going down. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know, but I get the impression that they have DNA. And I get this impression because it was 
circulated in an article in 2017 after the murders that they were awaiting. Hold on, I'll tell you exactly what it said. This was an interview with the lead prosecutor at the time, Robert Ives. And it says in this article that investigators are anxiously awaiting full DNA test results being compiled by FBI forensic analysis. Yeah, so, and that's not even the only mention while researching this case that we saw about DNA. Because I feel like if they have DNA, then they could 100% rule out these suspects instead of saying, well, we're just not considering them a person of interest anymore. Yeah, I just... I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I'm a little confused on what kind of DNA they have. If they have it. If they even have DNA. Yeah. Or maybe they have ruled people out, but they don't want to admit that they have DNA, so they're not releasing that. Probably the closest to confirming that there was DNA, in a 2017 interview of Jerry Holman, he said, there is always DNA in cases like this. And he was connected to the case. So, I mean, I don't know if there's DNA... We don't know. The cause of death really bothers us. Another thing that really bothers me is that there was a lot that I saw. I also, once again, cannot confirm this. Right. But I saw in a lot of places, they said that the... So the girls had open casket funerals. And there was a lot that said that the girls were wearing scarves. Yep. So... I think that if that is true, that would indicate a neck injury. I totally agree. So that would be my assumption as well. So that was kind of interesting. Also, they keep saying there's a lot of physical evidence and that it wasn't what you would imagine, though. But I don't know what that means. What kind of physical evidence is there that we... That you wouldn't expect to be, like, normal physical evidence. Exactly. Like, what is that? What is that? I have no idea. I don't like it. I wish that they would be more specific. I wish they would give more information. This was also something that the prosecutor said. Robert Ives, the old lead prosecutor, Uh he said that this was a very odd crime scene. And he said that there were two to three signatures at this odd crime scene. So... A signature, you guys, is something that the killer leaves behind that's specific to them. And usually it tells investigators what their inner fantasies are. So it's rituals or patterns or behaviors that expose what the murderer wants or why they choose to kill. Not every killer has a signature or not every killer has an obvious one. So the fact that this one has two or three... Seems interesting to me. Yeah, he had said that a lot of murders are pretty straightforward. Like, for instance, if this person was shot, you would expect to see a bullet hole, maybe some casings, you would know that they were shot. He said this case was not straightforward like that. So I don't know what that means. I found this video of Kelsey, who is Libby's older sister. The one that dropped them off that day as well. Yep, and she went online on YouTube. She does a ton of stuff on Twitter and different for the case. She went on and debunked some rumors, which some of these rumors I hadn't even heard. So it's interesting. One of them was that the phone, that Libby's phone pinged off of two different towers. Now she says that this did happen, but only because the towers were close together. So they don't think that the phone moved after they were murdered. No. Is what I'm gathering from that. Her family being involved. She says absolutely not. Yes, because there was a 
rumored that Libby's grandfather. Right, and 100% no, no, no. That did not happen. And also, let me mention that he was at work when the girls went missing. Yeah, you guys, he has an alibi. Stop accusing him of being involved. He was not. But also, there were rumors that her family refused lie detector tests, which was not true. Yeah. Um, she just wanted to go on and kind of, you know, set the record straight on a few things. So if you'd heard any of those rumors, they're not true. Also, there were rumors that her family had issue with the police department. She said that was not true, that they've had a really good working relationship with the police department this whole time. There's a podcast that came out. It's called Down the Hill, and they actually go into the town and they interview a ton of people in the town. They have hours and hours of footage. They do a really good job covering the case. I didn't have a chance to listen to all of it, but I did find some snippets of it while I was researching. You can go listen to it if you really want more information. information. Okay, so memorials. So Libby's mom requested that homeowners across central Indiana have orange lights installed on their front porches. This was to commemorate the girls and to indicate that their murderer remains at large. The Lowe's in Lafayette actually donated 1,000 orange light bulbs to the town. I think that's really cool. In August of 2017, the families announced their plan to build a sports complex for Delphi in memories of the girls. A nonprofit organization, LNA Park Foundation, was formed to commemorate and celebrate the lives of Libby and Abby by creating a place for appreciation of nature, arts, play, and athleticism for generations to come. A site was procured a mile north of Delphi where Abby and Libby Memorial Park is being developed. And you can still find ribbons in Delphi too for the girls in their favorite colors, which were purple and teal. Also, this is heartbreaking. Abby's headstone reads, though she be little, she is fierce. Libby's room still sits as she left it, you guys, with her coat hanging on the rack, her shoes lined up. There's even a dollhouse in the corner against the wall. And if nobody has done the math, it's been three years. Yeah, it's so sad. It's so sad. Becky Patty, Libby's grandmother, she's fighting a rare form of cancer. And she said, it's a win-win situation in my heart. It didn't hit me as hard as maybe it would have because I thought if I don't beat this, I'm going to be with Libby and wait for my family. And if I do beat it, then I get to continue to look for her killer. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. But bottom line, police believe that this killer talked to somebody about this case, that somebody knows something. Everybody out there, take a look at the video. Take a look at the picture. Just one minute, you guys. Give Libby one more minute. Give these girls one minute of your time and go and look at this sketch and watch this video. If you have any information, there's still a reward on this case. Yeah. You can still call in tips. You can do it anonymously. You can do it however you want. But think about the people around you at this time, when this happened in 2017. Did anyone you know change their appearance after that day? Miss work that day, change plans, start drinking heavily after that day? This blue jacket, I feel like, would be an easily identifiable item. Does anybody know anybody with this blue jacket? This short-billed hat is a very uncommon thing. I feel like somebody would recognize that. But if you know something, call it in. The number for that is 
459-5786. So that's the case of the Delphi murders of Abigail and Liberty. All right. So yeah, thanks for listening. I know that was a rough one. Tune in next week for our next episode. Share um, us on your stories. We'll share you back. Yep. Follow us on Instagram at Lost in the Woods Podcast. Like us on Facebook. Yep. Get prepared for Patreon. <laughs> Get ready. It's coming. We have been working on our Patreon. We so. have been recording and we're getting stuff ready. So basically when you sign up for Patreon, you will have things to binge. Yep. So be ready for that. It's coming. But yeah, thanks for listening, you guys. You're the best. Thank you to everybody who left reviews last week. We love you guys. We love that. We love that. I know. Thanks for coming, you guys. And we will see you next week. Yes. Bye. I had to break into the house this morning or last night. <laughs> I had to break into my own home. So Maddie FaceTimed me three times last night, which is funny because thank you, by the way, we have a listener that messaged me about how I can add Maddie to my favorite. She didn't do it though. She hasn't done it. <laughs> I obviously. did. Do, well, I thought I did it, but it didn't work, obviously. obviously didn't or work. I was really out cold. So basically, Maddie got home last night from work and we. The siding is being redone on our house right now. Shocking. More construction. Yeah. And so when they took the siding off, they also removed the key box that hangs on the wall next to our door. And the reason we have a key box is because when you have children, especially five of them, so we chose to do the key box instead of giving every one of our children a key that they could lose multiple times and that we would have to deal with that. So it's a key box that has like a code that gets you the key to open the door. So nobody actually has house keys. <laughs> no, no one has house keys. So that's definitely what happened this morning. Yeah, so I um, showed up and then I looked at the front door and I looked at the siding on, that wasn't on the front door and I was like, my mom definitely locked the door, didn't she? Walk upstairs, the door's locked. Go around the back, go to the back door, back door's locked. Go to the other back door, the other back door's locked. Go to both the downstairs windows. They're both locked. All the downstairs windows are locked. All the convenient windows for me to climb through are locked. And then I go upstairs and I see that our kitchen window, the window that is above the sink, wasn't locked. So I have to use my key to remove the screen, open it. Which usually I do lock that, that window because you can get to it from the deck. But it was so hot yesterday and it's supposed to be like 90 today. So we had left it open last night. You didn't even leave it open. It was oh, close. It was. I also had to take my shoes off and climb over the sink. Oh, Marcus Cook is the one that told me about adding you to my favorites so that I could put it on do not disturb, but still allow you to come through. But it didn't work. I'm going to have to <laughs> figure out why. Okay, so this is what happened. We went hiking or backpacking, right? We got in a lot or a lot, a lot a lot earlier than we thought we were going to. Yeah, so we got in super early because we're really fast hikers and we thought it would take us a lot longer to get there. It did not. We get in super early. We get the pick of a campsite because 
We are the first ones there. There's one group leaving when we get there. We settle in at the very last possible campsite. As far away from the main trail as possible. Yep. And also, you guys, we're hiking a loop, right? It's this big, huge loop that we're hiking. And we took a side trail up around and in between two lakes. And that side trail is where our campsite is. So we're not camping at one of the main lakes on the main trail. We're already off trail or off the main trail. Yeah. Thank God. Well, thank God, kind of. But then if we get murdered, like... Maybe not. Anyway. So we set up our camp. Life is great. We decide to hike down to the water because there's like, we're in between two lakes and there's like this drop off down to the water. And we're like, oh, let's go find a good setup place for our hammocks. Or, you know, we walk down there, you know, it's kind of, it's like really steep and really slid. It is pretty steep. And we're standing there looking at this gorgeous blue water. Like the water is blue, sea Clear, beautiful. And then I turn around and gasp because there's this gigantic cave there's a big there's an animal there's a den, den right at the base of our campsite down this little hill so we're like oh, okay i guess we are definitely hanging our food today and not being lazy about that like i'm talking like a bear or like a cougar den like a big den like not yeah this is no small animal den yeah so we go back up, we're like, let's go down by the lakes, and we will set up our hammocks there in the sun and relax. Because animals aren't really what scare us. We're not really concerned. You know, yeah, we're, gonna, we're not concerned yet. We're going to hang our food, like, no it's not going to bother us in our tent. Like, you know, we're not going to do anything to piss off the animals, so why would it eat us? Exactly. So we're not worried about it. So we go down, we set up our hammock, we're chilling in the hammock, yeah. you know, nice and relaxing, right in between, we have a lake view on both sides pretty amazing we're facing opposite directions we're like facing each other yeah so we were kind of like sitting laying in the hammock facing each other so from behind me which is the direction of our campsite which by the way is a dead end well it's not a dead end if you go around the little lake that's way far away from the main trail yeah but from the trail where our campsite is walks out a man And this man is not wearing any hiking gear, no backpacking gear. He does not even have a water bottle. He is wearing khaki shorts, a white t-shirt, and suspenders. Yep. And he's really, really creepy. And he's asking us a bunch of questions. Did you spend the night last night? On and on and on. Question, question, question. And we start to get really uncomfortable. Because we don't have anything with us. We just have our hammock. All of our stuff is back at our campsite. And... The direction he came, he had to walk through our campsite, and we are the only people there. So we're thinking, he's asking us if we spent the night last night, so he knows if we're packing up today, or if we're spending the night tonight. So my mom just says no. Just like, nope, nope. nope. And then we tell him to have a nice day, because we want him to leave, because he's creeping us out. And then Maddie's back is to him when he's walking away, and she's like, is he gone yet? And I'm like, nope, he's about 100 feet away, turning our direction, staring at us just standing there and then as he walks around the big lake to go back to the main trail every time my mom looks at him every time marie looks at him he's staring in our direction and then he like looks away yep so super creepy so we're like okay and also when we realized he was gone we didn't actually watch him leave like we didn't watch we didn't watch him get back on the main trail we he just disappeared from sight we don't know where he went so 
that was a little concerning. So gut, my gut's telling me something's wrong with this guy. Yeah. I don't like it. And then we stay in the hammock for like two hours, just relaxing in the sun, you know, just... Yeah. And then we decide to go back to our campsite, get a snack. Play some cards. Maybe have a drink. Like, we're just going to relax at our yeah. campsite. And then, you know, these flies are just attacking us. Like, landing on us. Like, dive They're bombing like, all our of faces. They're, like, all of everywhere. Like, freaking flies. Like, not like we're by a bee's nest and there's, like, bees bothering us. No, like, freaking flies. So then we start getting, you know, more uneasy feelings as this time is going on. And then we start to have this idea of packing up and leaving because we both feel so unsteady about this whole situation. Yeah, and we're trying to not overreact. We are playing cards. We're trying to relax and enjoy our nice, peaceful time in the woods. And we just cannot shake this feeling, this gut feeling that something is wrong. So we pour ourselves a drink, a strong drink, and then we pack all of our stuff up. And as we're packing up our stuff, I look into the bushes as I'm grabbing like our blanket over by where we are playing cards. And there is animal spray everywhere. But either way, we both felt uneasy, like something was wrong. And we both, as soon as we were hiking, we were like, oh, we're kind of sad. Like, are we making the right decision? Like, we didn't want to leave. But then we're like, okay, well, we don't know what would have happened if we stayed. So we can't look at it that way. We have to assume that we made the yeah. right decision in this situation. And we are not fearful people, but just something felt wrong. Yeah. But I, I mean, moral of the story, like, follow your gut. And who cares? Like, yeah, we didn't get to sleep in the woods and we maybe missed out on some fun. But we're alive. We yeah. know that. So. It just felt really wrong, and it's just two of us, and creepy man, and he obviously knew where our campsite was, because he definitely had to walk through it. There's no other way to go. Like, he, he definitely, definitely went through, through our, our campsite. campsite. Yeah. And he didn't mention that he went through our campsite, which also kind of bothers me. He was just really strange. And he said he came from the main trail, by the way, too. When, which we did not see him come from the main trail. And we know he didn't come from the main trail, because the main trail isn't that direction. You can't, He would have had to pass us. He, and... He would have had to leave the main trail to even get to the lakes that he was at. I know. At. You guys, something was wrong. We don't know. But yeah, so that's our that's our backpacking <laughs> fiasco from this week. Probably my last backpacking experience of the season. For the season, season I know. Although the weather's going to be really nice. Maybe we can get back out there. Maybe. All right. Oh, by the way, one of our listeners Ow. said, and you're going to have to help me because I don't understand. What if the people got stranger thinged? What if they went to another world? Not like another world as in aliens, but Dimension. another version of our world. And are they talking about the case that just we just posted? Uh-huh, the Smoky Mountains? Because you kept saying it was alien, maybe aliens. Yeah, no. So that's actually like a complete possibility. I'm saying Maddie says, yep, that's what happened. Said, yep, that's a total possibility. She said, but think about it. That's the one thing we know about the doors. They have a huge magnetic field, which could cause planes to crash. She's not wrong. This not not wrong at all. I mean, they did just vanish for complete no reason. What if there is in the Smoky Mountains a like type of? Because there is like portals, basically, is a Stranger Things. Like there are areas where you can get into what they call the Upside Down in Stranger Things, which is a TV show. And okay. basically, this one girl who um, she basically has like telekinesis powers, which is the main character, which is Eleven. And she can access the Upside Down through, like, 
her head, but then one of the boys in the show gets caught and gets stuck in the Upside Down. Okay. And basically, it's just, like, an alternate reality to ours, but, like, creepy. There's, like, there's no people there. There are monsters there. It's, like, yeah. ashy and gross, like, the whole time down there and scary and... Okay, well, there you go, Mad Hatter, because I didn't know what that meant, and Maddie just had to explain it to me. <laughs> yes. Okay, so basically, the Mad Hatter, one of our followers on Instagram, suggested that for our Smoky Mountain episode that we just talked about last week, mm-hmm. when Maddie kept suggesting that maybe aliens were involved. Or some kind of Bermuda Triangle type of yeah, energy so or she, something. Yeah, so she said, what if they got stranger thinged and ended up in another world? Possibility. And I didn't know what that meant, and Madison had to explain it to me. So if you've never seen Stranger Things, like me, now maybe you understand a little more what that means. So, yep, we're going with that. Oh, by the way, 60% had not heard of Parasite, and 40% had. Don't make me feel stupid. (laughs) Uh...